0: Welcome to My Teacher Friends Podcast. My name is John Peschel. Thank you for downloading today's episode. I sat down with my friend, Kathy, who I have known for over 20 years. Kathy is an ALP coordinator and AVID district director. She will talk today about a teaching strategy called the Bell Ringer, and give us some information on AVID and Wicker strategies that work at all grade levels. Kathy has a really unique educational background. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation and hopefully walk away with several teaching tips. Every time I sit down with Kathy, uh, the conversation is always so natural Um, And I learned so much from listening to her. So I hope you enjoy this episode of My Teacher Friends featuring my friend, Kathy. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Um, So we've known each other for a long time, and I'm sure that will come up in our conversation today. But uh, can you just... Talk a little bit about how you got into education, because it wasn't your first career. Talk to us a little bit about your educational history and how you got to be a teacher.
1: You bet. So I started out my career going to college right after high school. Um, Did not enjoy college when I went there. My now husband was back here, home. I was four hours away, and we just didn't work. So I came back, started working at the gingerbread house, taught uh, preschool, four-year-old preschool, and then we had babies, and or got married and had babies, with yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> that order. Um, but then I started working part-time. I wanted to be home with my kids. Okay. So I started working part-time at Prairie Athletic Club, which quickly turned into full-time. I became a um, lead manager there, and I worked there for 10 years. And it was perfect for me because my kids were never with daycare. They were either with me. I started a lot of youth programs there, right. selfishly. And they would either come with me or I would do work on nights and weekends. What happened then is my kids went to school. Um, yeah. When my youngest started school full-time, I decided, no, I don't want to be gone on nights and weekends. I want to be with my kids. Yeah. So uh, selfishly, and for my family, mm-hmm. I quit the Prairie Athletic Club and went back to school to get my teaching degree.
0: And why, and why teaching?
1: I wanted to be on my kids' schedule. Yeah. Um, I originally had gone to school to be a nurse. And I know what nurses go through as far as their hours, and it would have been nights and weekends, probably, again, unless, of course, you're in a clinic. But um, I really felt like being on my own kids' schedule was very beneficial for my family and good for my kids. So I chose that and I chose to go to some because so I could exactly be on their schedule. When they were right. off, I was off and I was able to spend all my summers with my kids, holidays. I was able to attend all their sporting events and all that. So that's the main reason I went into education. So
0: nursing <laughs> and teaching, Yes, all wanting to help people yes. and people.
1: Absolutely. Yes. That I, and if I would have went into nursing, it would have been for pediatrics of some sort. I love kids. Yeah. Always have loved kids from little on. My daughter's exactly like me, who's a nurse. Um, but I wanted to be with, with kids somehow in some way. Right. Right.
0: So, um, what was your first job?
1: My first job as a teacher? As a teacher. Yeah. So I went to Edgewood college and I got an internship at Royal Oaks. I actually was an intern in second grade and first grade, okay. um, which was fantastic. I always thought I wanted to be an elementary teacher. From there, I got a long-term sub job over at Patrick Marsh Middle School for mm-hmm. eighth grade social studies and realized, yeah, you're not an elementary teacher. You're a middle school teacher. Wow. Yeah. So it was like a, th- something went off in my brain while I had that. I loved the little kids, but there was something about eighth graders that I truly enjoyed.
0: And really, like you spent tons of time with little kids, absolutely, right? With with the youth programs that you were doing, yep. with uh, the four year old, yeah. Uh, and th- there was just something about middle school that was drawing yeah. you. What do you think it was? Now
1: you know they're they're in that in between stage where they're not little kids and they're not adults, and they're very impressionable at that age still. But they're also going through a lot at that age, and I felt like I could help them go through all those things that are those awkward, weird middle school
0: years. Yeah, I always have always thought it takes a really special person to work the middle school. <laughs> yeah, every and,
1: school, but <laughs> yeah,
0: it, and and not everyone I think can do it their whole career, right? But I do feel like there are people at the right time and the right people to yeah. work and really be ambassadors for that age. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And yeah, after I did that long-term sub-job, then I was offered uh, teaching jobs at both Prairie View and Patrick Marsh from Clark and Nancy. And I ended up accepting the job at Prairie View, again, selfishly, because that was my side of town with my kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's where I started.
0: So uh, classroom teacher, and you are not a classroom teacher anymore. I am not. So your job is super hard to describe. (laughs) You have a very long title. Let's go over the title first.
1: Sure. I am the Advanced Learner Program Coordinator and the AVID District Director.
0: All right. So if you had to like sum up what that means, mm-hmm. give us just like a really short version of what, what you do now and maybe even a little bit about what your day looks like. You don't sure. really have typical days. I no. know that. But yeah. if you could just talk a little bit about what that looks like.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the Advanced Learner Portion uh, Coordinator is truly me working with staff, the advanced learner specialists within our buildings, to develop, create, and support a program for our advanced learners in the district. As far as what my day looks like for that piece, um, it's anything from going over to the, all the schools and observing our specialists or it, watching them in action, actually, and giving them feedback. It's non-evaluative, but I give them feedback and ideas as how they could um, service our advanced learners. I also do things like um, just meet individually with them to coach them. I'm also doing a lot of parent uh, contacts, parent phone calls, parent emails of people who are inquiring about identification or services for their students. So really that's that piece besides planning the extra stuff, right? So a lot of our kids go to math meets and science fairs and, you know, science bowls and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of coordinate all that as far as buses and field trip forms and all that kind of stuff and i'm i'm always looking for things for our kids to do for our advanced learners i am the vice president of the greater dane advanced learner network um so i go there once a once a quarter i believe it is and um we work together as a greater dane there's schools from all over and we work to provide services for our kids so that's that hat right my other hat is the advanced, uh, avid district director and that piece is um this is the hard one to explain. People yeah. people don't really know what AVID is. Right. So AVID is Advancement Via Individual Determination. It's a program that is worldwide. Um, it's very popular in our nation. And we brought it to our school district seven years ago when I was an eighth grade geography teacher. I was one of the first team of teachers, the first team of teachers that went and got trained through AVID. You have to go to Summer Institute. And what AVID is is really for kids who are academically in the middle, who are probably first-generation first, first generation college students who need, want to go to college but need extra support to get there. And so it's a program where kids apply to be in when they're 7th grade going into 8th grade. And we they go through an application process, an interview process, and then we select kids to be in the program. Currently, I have over 200 kids in the program, 8th grade through 12th grade. And when I say my program, it's not my program. It's the program. And I support the AVID teachers um, as far as the strategies that we do. I support the professional development I am the contact as far as our CCI, which is our document where we have to do things according to the Avid way. Mm-hmm. Um, I meet with the program manager of our of our area once a quarter. Um, again, I go in and observe the teachers in action. I give feedback. I observe our, observe our tutors because we have tutorials that our people go through. I hire mm. hire the tutors and I observe them as well. Um, I do a lot of paper type work. I Again, like I think I said this already, professional development. Um, so, my day, a lot of my day is spent in schools. Um, mm-hmm. When you talk about what my day looks like, I'm right. in buildings constantly all over the district, elementary through high school. Um, I do what we call Wicker walkthroughs at our Cardinal Heights and high school with the administration, where we go in and look for our Wicker strategies. Wicker standing for Writing, Inquiry, Collaboration, Organization, and Reading. And that's the basis of the strategies that we use in AVID.
0: It's a lot of stuff. <laughs> a lot yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Um, what's your what's your favorite part of this job?
1: My favorite part of the job is seeing kids be successful, seeing kids reach goals. Um, it's awesome because in the AVID program, our whole goal is to get them to college. And we help them do that. We help them with their essay writing, ACT prep, scholarship you know applications, college applications. we actually pay for a couple of the college applications for every avid senior. We um, you know prep them for interviews and for colleges and things like that. And when kids start to get their senior year, the acceptance letters to colleges, things that they've only dreamt about, and now it's going to happen, um, and I get those pictures or I'm actually there when they get it it's 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 overwhelming and it's gratifying and it's just awesome that's that's absolutely my favorite part is seeing kids reach their goals and in avid we set all sorts of goals and our kids are successful my current again i say my the current grit graduating yeah. class has earned over three hundred and eighty thousand dollars in scholarships and they're all going to a two or four year college so it's it's exciting it's yeah. awesome and, to, and we continue to uh, see it get better and better every year. We started out small our first two years, so our last two classes have only been between 15 and 20 kids. Next year's senior class will be 50 kids, and um, every class after that will be and hopefully continue to grow as we um, expand our FTE and even expand into the lower levels, middle school and hopefully elementary at some point.
0: Because right now it's just 8 through 12?
1: Correct, 8 through 12. Okay. We we interview 7th graders going into 8th grade.
0: Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, And is that... The reason to start in eighth grade is that um, something that AVID recommends. Is it because of our building configuration yeah. here in Sun Prairie? Why eighth grade?
1: So we started in eighth grade because of who brought it to our our, our school system. Right, our principal at the time, Ryan Ruggles, uh, heard about AVID, wanted to pursue AVID. And he asked a team of us to go, and we did. And that's the thing about AVID. You can't assign AVID to anybody to be the AVID teacher or coordinator. It's basically people who want to be a part of the program. So our team at the time, uh, uh, 8D, at Cardinal Heights said, yeah, we want to we learn more about it and go, go from there. And it slowly it has spread school-wide now. Um, we do it when t- teacher turnover, whatever happens, we have to retrain people. But we're school-wide at Cardinal Heights, and we're getting there at the high school. Um, of course, we're farther in than the high school. Mm-hmm. And so that's why a goal of ours, goal of mine, it's actually my district director goal, is to roll it into the 6-7 buildings. And we're hoping to start dabbling in that next year. Um, And then from there, actually start having the AVID elective class in seventh grade, but having it school-wide in sixth grade so we can kind of figure out what kids need more of that daily AVID elective than just the Wicker strategies throughout their classroom. And then the elementary piece, the elementary foundations piece, it's just school-wide. It's teaching teachers the strategies, the Wicker strategies, and what's good, and and having college talk with kids at an earlier age, telling kids they can do it. Um, Too many times kids don't think they can and they may have been told they can't. Um, their parents may have had a horrible education experience or anything like that. If, like for myself, I was a first generation college student. My mom didn't know anything about too. college. Yeah. yeah, and you know we were kind of blind mm-hmm. going into it, right? And I think that's why I hated it so much. You know, my mom expected me to go, God love her, but I hated it, you know, so at the time. And I think if I had somebody supporting me who could walk me through it, I think that would have been a huge asset. And that's why I think if we tell kids earlier and earlier, you can do this, you're smart, we got this and support them and teach them how to get there. We're going to have a huge success in this district.
0: Yeah, it's great. Um, a little bit more on you. What do you miss most about being in the classroom?
1: I think what I miss most about being in the classroom is the hands-on with kids. In the advanced learner program, I don't get a lot of hands-on. Um, my work is mostly with the specialists and teachers. In the AVID program, I get a little bit more because I get in there, I talk with the kids a lot, um, I observe them. I, you know, have they all know me? The AVID kids all know right. me. Advanced learner kids don't, right? So I think the biggest piece that I miss is that one-on-one interaction with kids and building those closer relationships I have relationships but not like a classroom teacher does with those um you know I fulfill that by getting my butt in the classroom right because Mm -hmm. that's what that's what we're here for is the kids and I prefer to have kids at the center and that's my way of doing it right yeah right
0: um well thanks for all that I mean you you really kind of springboarded the rest of our conversation which is going to talk um about avid and wicker strategies and so Um, this is something that you've taught me a little bit about, but I don't know tons about, so Mm -hmm. I'm anxious to kind of hear a little bit more. So, um, can you start with kind of a teaching tip, a tip that, um, maybe, maybe is avid in wicker strategy, maybe isn't, but that is successful for teachers in classrooms or has been successful for you?
1: Sure. So one of the things that we talk about a lot in AVID is like you said, wicker writing, inquiry, collaboration, organization, and reading. And one of the things that I've noticed in successful classrooms, when they when I walk in the door at the beginning of class, is that they have some sort of bell ringer on up on the board. Um, Avid is all about engagement, right? So whether your bell ringer is to hey get out your notes from yesterday, your cardinal notes we call them cardinal notes they're Cornell if you've been to college Cornell notes, um, and let's review them review them with a partner. Okay, so they'll they'll revisit the notes from yesterday because Avid shows you that if you aren't revisiting on a timely basis your, your brain forgets about things and throws it away to replace it with something else mm-hmm. so you constantly have to be reviewing things and so when you walk in, the kids walk in the door, there's always something up on the board, whether it's reviewing their notes with a partner, whether it's, there's something around the room where they got to walk around and collaborate and solve problems or solve issues or something, whether it's uh intro to a new lesson. And there's some sort of question on the board where they get to interact with somebody to do that. So I always made sure that when my kids walked in the door, because we all know as teachers, there's attendance, there's standing out in the hallway to make sure everybody gets to their room and the kids are just kind of hanging out. Um, So if they have something to do immediately and you immediately get them engaged, that's the key to being successful as a teacher. And then the other piece of it is the backside, right? So before they leave for the day, I have to revisit my essential question, or I give them an exit question, or they have to do a quick write, or they have to do something where they're, again, visiting back to my lesson for the day. And and that's my way of doing a formative assessment. Um, In my classroom, I always had a board up that was divided up almost like a checkerboard, And each kid had their own box with their name on it. And when they left, that's where they posted their exit question. They're posted on a three-by-five card, whatever it was, or a question for the day that we didn't answer. And I always looked at them um, at the end of the day and said, okay, here's something they didn't get or did get. So I could revisit that and put that as my bell ringer the next day or something like that. So... That you can't just say oh bye class is over you can't say hey class is started there has to be something to keep that engagement from start to finish
0: yeah i think it's so important to establish routines mm-hmm. right away and that's really part of it yeah so that uh when kids walk through the door there's an expectation and they yeah. know about that Absolutely. so at the elementary level i always really thought about the beginning of the day um and right before lunch right after lunch yes. before recess after recess end of the day those were those were the first things that I really tried to firm up. Absolutely. Before I dove into curriculum yep. and what the the class Absolutely. was going to look like, um, and I had never heard it called bell ringers, oh, but okay. it, it makes sense yeah. once you say it. I just I have always just thought of it as establishing those routines during non instructional times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the benefits, like you talked about, are huge. Kids are reflecting kids um, have an expectation mm-hmm. and kind of know what to do. What other benefits would you say come from that kind of um, routine?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, in Avid, we teach. Take- we teach time management, we teach organization, we teach study skills, reading skills, writing skills, et cetera. And I think if we're showing them bell ringers and exit questions and things like that, and showing them that organizational and time management piece that goes along with that, I also think depending on how you do your bell ringers and things, you're developing relationships within your classroom. Because lots of times mine was about collaboration, and they couldn't always collaborate with the same person, right? We had what we called our clock, and they had different clock partners, Um, and so they had to, you know, switch it up, or maybe it was a shoe partner today, or whatever it might be, but building relationships in your classroom should be number one on any teacher's list, and however you can do that, whether it's with bell ringers, or things you're doing, or team building, or whatever, that's key, and if you don't have that, along with the expectations, like you said, it's going to be tough to be successful, and I think that by doing those things Anything, all that curriculum stuff is going to come easy because you've established that those key points.
0: And I, I hear that over and over as I do this podcast yeah. from everyone that I talk to mm-hmm. about the importance of relationship and routine and and really getting to know students and connecting with them.
1: Oh my gosh, yes. Students have to be at the center, right? You have to, and that's a big thing in AVID. They're an AVID family. When, when the kids roll up with their... Teacher 8-9, so they have the same teacher for two years. Oh, okay. And then 10-12, they roll with their teacher. So gotcha. three years of their teacher. And what you'll always hear when we interview kids or do exit surveys or whatever it is for the seniors, it's about AVID was their family, okay? And their teachers, they end up being mom or dad or whatever it is, but not mom, second mom and dad, yeah, right? Yeah, But it's a family. And those kids, they hold each other accountable because of the trust and relationships they have built within that classroom. So, so you're not on task. It's not the teacher that's calling them out. It's their family that's calling them out, you know? So to me, that's huge. If you don't have relationships built with your kids first, positive, positive relationships, kids first and families, right? We have to build positive relationships with families first. So then when there is something that may not be quite fun to talk about, you have a trusting relationship and it's an easier conversation. Right.
0: And doing that, you know, doing that early Mm -hmm. and the benefit of the program of keeping kids yeah. multiple years—that oh really my God, pays that's off.
1: Huge, yes. That it's a huge payoff. Huge payoff. Yeah. So
0: I love that teaching tip. I hope um, I know that that will be a routine in my classroom when I go back to the classroom next year, and um, I hope that a lot of people kind of think about what they want to do as bell ringer. Um, Sounds good. So next, it's kind of your turn to kind of take over the conversation a little bit more. I'd love for you to continue this talk about avid and wicker strategies okay. um, however you however you kind of want to organize it if right. you feel like there are like three strategies you really want to highlight sure. if you want to talk more about the different pillars or parts of Wicker mm-hmm. and how that connects to um, helping students grow. Mm-hmm. That might be a, a way to do it, but um, okay. I want to just give you some time to sure. teach me a little bit more about AVID and Wicker strategies. Yeah. Um, and then before before we wrap up, I want to make sure that we give some resources or places that people can go if they want to learn a little bit more.
1: Sure. Okay. Sounds good. So, I guess where I would start with avid is some of the key components that we try and teach our avid teachers to start with right so we we start with cornell notes, the note taking processes, we start with casa 's level of questioning, the house right so the different levels of inquiry, and we start with the the reading and writing strategies so the key The key component of all of this is an essential question. kids need to know when they walk in the room that what they're going to learn about for that day, that unit or whatever, so that 's a requirement of avid and and of us in the district that every eighth through twelfth grade room you walk into each day should have an essential question on the board and, and so that's happening know. in elementary so yes, yes um, it is. you
0: know all the way down to kindergarten we', are, we are, the teachers are letting students know mm-hmm. what they 're going to be learning so that's that it's fantastic. Not, it's not a guessing game right. Of, right you know, what are you going to learn today? It's, it's out there, it's on a board where you can refer back to it. Yeah. Um, and it's really grounding everything that you're doing within that class period.
1: Yeah, Sure. You know, and so then when you go from your essential question and you talk about CASA's level of questioning, so levels, three levels of questioning, if you if you are a teacher who gives a formative assessment or summative or, or standing in front of the classroom and you're constantly asking level one questions, those are questions that you, me, the kid next to me, we're all going to have the same answer and I'm able to find it somewhere, right? I could look it up in my textbook, I could look it up on my worksheet, I could look it up in my notes. All of us are going to have the same question, it's a right there question like, what color was Susie's? shirt in the book, right? We all go there and find it's yellow. When you start to go to a level two question, okay, the level two question is more about kind of a combination. I I can find the answer in my book, but I have to apply it to something else. So for instance, a compare and contrast. Or um, if this happened, what would happen? Things that where kids are actually having to formulate their processes in their head and make connections to the fact, whatever it is, that level Mm. one, right? Find that fact. So we like to call that the two finger question where you can find point to something with one finger um, in your book, but then you got to apply it to your head. OK, so you got to okay. pull something out of your head to answer the question. Mine and your question answers are not going to be the same because what's in my head probably is very different than what's in your head. Well, we know that's true, but right. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: but would that be the case then, like like in mathematics, like the answer is this and I got it. This is how I got it. Right. Or Or, um, you know, as as teachers... elementary, we want kids to talk more. Yes. And so we'll ask them, tell me more about your thinking, or how did you come up with that? Yes, Would that be considered an example of level two? two? Yeah.
1: I think back to when Colin, that's when math started to change a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And he used to do his math problems. And his teacher at the time, Jerry Stonestrup, would say, I don't, how is Colin getting these answers? And she would have Colin explain that out. Yeah. And how he got them was very different um, than the, all the other kids in the class because he had that math brain. So that's uh-huh. a very, very good example. Yeah, okay. Now, level three is I'm going to take that answer, but i got to apply it to something else outside of the school, in real life, something completely different. So it could be a question where I say, if Goldilocks would have never, or I shouldn't say Goldilocks, if the big bad wolf
0: mm-hmm.
1: would have not shown up at Goldie's house or something like that. Or grandma went to answer the door. How would this story possibly end? Mm. You know, if anything where I know what happened, but now I got to come up with something else, apply it to real world almost is what we like to call it. We'd like to say that's the three finger. I got to have some facts from what the question is implying, whether it's chemistry, social studies, whatever. I got to think about it in my head and put my own thoughts, but now I want to connect it, apply it to something else. So that's how we use the CASA level. We want kids and all, my. I mean, obviously there's always level ones. But mm-hmm. when I go in and observe classrooms, I want to hear level twos and level threes. Right. I want to see kids answering level twos and level threes. And the, a good way of how I teach that to teachers is literally right. we use post-it notes. And I say, okay, create a level one question about uh, your favorite fairy tale. And then you pass it around the table. And then you say to the next teacher, using that question, create a level two. Um, and then from there you pass it again and using those questions create a level three and obviously you have to know something about the fairy tale but it's it's passing it around the table to help create and that's how i taught my kids to do it in my classroom i did that same activity right i also had the house uh shrunk down and taped on all my tables
0: so how different is this from bloom's taxonomy of it's, it's
1: similar it, it sounds it's pretty sounds, similar, similar right it's just similar. kind of
0: instead of The six different. Yep. There's just three levels. There's just three different Mm -hmm. levels. There's
1: three levels, correct. Um,
0: So it's really getting kids to um, analyze and compare.
1: Absolutely. I mean,
0: this is it's all over our Common Core standards, right? Yes. These these skills that we want kids to be able to do. Yeah.
1: And it takes away from the multiple choice, right? Because multiple choice or or fill in the blank or those. We could be guessing, right? The kids could be guessing. I remember back when I first started teaching, we did scantrons, right, for, for summative assessments. And every, you ran it through a machine, and did I really know if kids were learning, right? And so now when you're asking kids to explain how they learned it, explain, you know, what's going on, or apply this to something you know. Like, this happened in the fairy tale, Tell me something similar that's happened in your life. I mean, really getting them to. We want to kids to think. Yes, yes. That's, that's really what, what it is, all about. right? You got it. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the Costas essential question. And then we talk about note taking. So at all different levels, you can take notes. And it's awesome because I was just looking at the elementary foundations the other day to give um, the ELP specialists some tools to um, use with kids at the elementary level. And as you get older, right, you use the Cornell notes and you have your. The middle box, okay, and, and I'm going to explain the paper here a little bit what it looks like. Yeah. But for us, for Cardinal Notes, the top line is tells you what the topic is for the day and the date. Okay. The big space next is where they should be listing their essential question. And I always told my students, and still do to this day with our advocates, if your teacher doesn't have an qu- or essential question on the board, raise your hand and ask for it. Because mm-hmm. I want to see it on your paper. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then the note-taking section, which is three-quarters of your page if you go side to side is they can take notes however they want right and we teach them in avid to take notes either you know visually where they're drawing pictures we teach them about um abbreviations and not writing down everything the teacher says, right? Because that's ridiculous. We know that can't happen. You know, thinking about when the teacher says, you've got to know this, that's probably important to write down. We also teach them to space, right? So as I'm taking notes, when I see that my teacher's kind of changing an idea a little bit, I leave a couple of lines in between and I keep doing that throughout. The reason we do that is we expect our kids to go back and revisit those notes, okay? So, If I go back, so here's what I do. Every five to seven minutes when I taught in the front of the classroom or walked around the classroom or we did a lesson, I would say, break, turn and talk. Ask your neighbor any questions you have about your notes. What did you miss? Or I would say, ask them what was the most important part of the the discussion we just had. And then kids could fill in where they left those spaces, right? So now we're already revisiting our notes every five to seven minutes. This
0: is at a middle level. This is at middle school. Absolutely. we, We often talk with our elementary teachers about Mm -hmm. wanting to make sure that we're um, not lecturing too much, that kids are engaged. Right. And you're saying five to seven minutes. Absolutely. And this isn't for kindergarten. You're talking for eighth graders, graders, ninth graders, 10th graders, 11th
1: graders. Yes. Turn and talk. Pause. Um, The other thing that they could be doing at that time is underlining things at that point that they found out that they important. Right. Circling things that are key terms. Putting question marks next to things that I need to follow up with somebody. I have a question about this. I don't understand it. Starring things, again, of importance. So highlighting. Whatever they did, you know, a lot of kids do different colored pens or highlighters or whatever it is. But it's, again, revisiting those notes. It's so how then- powerful
0: to have the teacher teaching students Mm -hmm. how to do it and you have to
1: teach them how to do it right right this isn't something they're going to know no no you got to scaffold you got to break right so that's some of the first the first two weeks when I was in the classroom that's all we did I taught them what I my expectations as far as and not even expectations say that but good note-taking skills I taught them good writing reading we focus on that because I knew even though I was taking that time out of my curriculum it was going to benefit me later and we'd make up that time absolutely um so then after they they've Whether it's the end of the day or maybe it's time for my exit question or whatever, there's a spot at the bottom of the cardinal note sheet where they have to summarize, okay? And it's not summarizing by saying, Mrs. Enstead said today that, right? right, right, right." It can't be that. It's summarizing the idea that we talked about. And it's kind of revisiting that essential question. In that summary, right. it's and reflection, it's right? Absolutely. If reflection.
0: we don't reflect, we're not going to grow. No. We're not going to learn. No. And so we're so there's a mm-hmm. spot there to remind students, absolutely, that this is how we learn. Yep.
1: The other piece of it is the left hand column of the carnal note sheet is called the question column. So what happens is we have our students chunk the notes. So this was one idea. They put the little beak, right? This was one idea. This is another idea, and then they have to write a question level two or level three, about that chunk, okay? So again, they're revisiting. Now, does this all happen in one day? Absolutely not. Sometimes I said, okay, tonight when you go home, chunk. Or my bell ringer was chunk your notes from yesterday, okay? Or revisit your notes, highlight, do all those things that I taught you how to do. The thing about that, two things, that summary and that left column, is those can also be bell ringers. Meaning, tomorrow when you come to class, everybody pull out your notes from Monday Monday, take your questions, fold your paper over your questions on your left-hand column and ask them to a neighbor partner up. And then they're reviewing their notes that way. So I ask you a question about the notes, right? Or the summary, the summary, they could have just read to somebody. It's again, revisiting because of that, that loss that if you don't revisit the, the bell of recovery, as far as keeping knowledge, um, is unbelievable. It just falls way off. And because by the time what what used to be our thinking, right, as teachers, and I haven't been in the profession that long, but it was, well, I did it, they learned it, move on, and then we'll do a final exam. Mm -hmm. Well, if you don't revisit, by the time the final exam comes, and I'm studying a student the night before for whatever, I am not recalling anything, and I think that's the key.
0: Using these strategies, I think, are going to help so much with engagement. Absolutely. When kids are active throughout mm-hmm. the lesson, you're not going to mm-hmm. have behavior issues. No. You're not going to have engagement issues Absolutely. because it's that five to seven minute window. They're doing uh-huh. something.
1: Yeah. And if you're a middle school teacher, or high school teacher, they don't have time to get on their phones.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anything else you want to add about um, these strategies?
1: Um, the only other one I think that I really love, and I did every Friday in my classroom was Socratic seminars. Okay. Um, those take a lot of prep. Um, at the beginning of the week on Mondays, I would give the kids an article or a video or something that they had to watch, okay? And then at the end of the week, I would tell them what kind of Socratic seminar we we're doing. So they had to prep for, for the Socratic. They had to read the articles. They had to highlight reading, writing strategies, right, which we aren't going to have time to talk about today. But then they had a prep sheet where they had to create questions about it, ideas from it. it and I guided them like I had guided things that they had to do. But then on Fridays, we would have either Socratic seminars where they would sit in a circle and they would talk about the information and they would ask each other questions and things like that. Sometimes it would be a fishbowl where half the class was in the middle, the other half was on the outside observing and taking notes, and you'd flip-flop. I used Today's Meet, which is an app um, where the kids in the middle were having the discussion, the kids on the outside were talking via this Today's Meet and asking each other questions and commenting about what was happening in the middle. Fantastic. Fantastic. We would have coffee clutch. I would create, and we would do chocolate, chocolate uh, hot chocolate clutches. Right. And I'd bring in all the stuff, but I'd have two, two groups going on, and they'd sit back and just talk about the issues that we read about. Or, and lots of time it not lots of times, all the time, it rotated back to my lessons in class, but it was another way for them to engage and learn. Uh, we did, we did uh, what was some of the other ones we did? The coffee clutch, the fishbowl, bowl, the stuff, Debates kids loved to debate we did the debate so to me and if i didn't do it on a friday my kids went nuts like on monday they would say where's our stuff for friday that was the first thing they always asked um so i knew it was engaging to them and i could hear kids talk sometimes you'd have some kids who may not want to engage but i had tricks to getting them engaged from Mm -hmm. you know so again we don't have time to talk about but it was a fantastic way for formative assessments summative whatever but it again was kids engagement
0: well this has been awesome i have learned so much uh that awesome. i can i can <laughs> bring to the classroom yeah. um, if people wanted to learn more about avid is there a good website or a video yeah. series or is there a way that they can learn about this even if it's something their district isn't a part of
1: sure so there's a couple places okay. on our sun prairie school district website there is a link under district um at the top bar you go to district and there's an avid webpage. So okay. I I have a, lots of information on there about what AVID is, some information about our kids. So, you know, I just posted actually today a picture of our seniors with their teacher for the last day. Um so they could go there. Or you can go to avid.org. It's like I said, it's a okay. na- national program, it's right out there. Um there's lots of information there. Or email me, call me. I love yeah. talking to Avid, right? Yeah, so it's absolutely awesome.
0: Well, before I let you go today, yep. I have two final questions. Yes. Um, and so you can either do them together or separate, okay. however you want. But um, I'd love to hear what advice you have for a teacher entering their first few years of teaching
1: mm-hmm.
0: and what advice you'd have as the teacher entering their last few
1: years of teaching. Okay. So first year teachers, first few years. Right. Um, my first thing I would say is don't don't think you can do it all. Um, you have to lean on your teammates, you have to lean on your coworkers. you have to ask for help. Um, you can't you can't do it alone. Um, don't try and recreate the wheel sometimes. I mean there's nothing wrong with copying somebody's lesson if, if it was fantastic. Um, you know talking with your teammates and you know keeping your door open. You have to do that with your teammates. The second piece for first-year teachers, and actually all teachers, is build, build, build relationships with your kids and your right. families in a positive manner. I know I said that earlier, but one of the things I always made sure is in the beginning of the year, I called every single family and made a positive contact about their kids before something negative came up. And you hope nothing negative does, but if they've heard from me once positively, it's a, it's a lot better. I also sent cards to every kid in, you know, in the group.
0: I love how you said uh, called. Because yep. I feel like... Um, so many people are just using email
1: yeah,
0: and it, it makes a difference when you pick up the phone. Mm-hmm. I'm not one that likes to talk on the phone, yep. so it's not yep. super easy for yep. me, Yeah, but I think it's so important to, mm-hmm. to kind of either talk face-to-face or talk on the phone and mm-hmm. really establish a connection Absolutely. because um, sometimes just tone is not read well mm-hmm. through email. There can be a lot of misconceptions, yes. even when you're trying to be really positive. Yep. Um, and I just, I love that tip about, about reaching out. Yeah.
1: For sure. And last years of teaching, um, you know, I think the big thing is just to remember to keep kids at the center. You know, sometimes you have to sit back and go, think about the things you can control. The things you can't control and the things you can influence, and I think too many times as teachers who've been in it for a long time think too much about the things they can't control, and you have to I do that did that activity with my teachers, my kids mm-hmm. and staff at district office yep. actually, and said you got to take anything you wrote down under no control and throw it away I, that's where so many times we put all of our energy to. we got to think about what we can control and influence, and we can influence kids, and that's why kids have to be the center of it. And also, don't be afraid to try something new in your last few years of teaching. You know, if you've been around a long time, you've probably got some things you love to do and constantly do, and you're not going to change. Try and change it. Things have changed. I mean, I've only been in the, this for, what, 14, 15, 16 years, and things have drastically changed. They've changed so much. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So much. And so you have to kind of go with it. You're, you're always a learner, just like your students are.
0: Well, this has been awesome. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate your words of wisdom, and I can't wait to try some of these techniques. Awesome. Thanks. And that's it for this episode of My Teacher Friends. I'd really love to know what you think of the podcast. Send me an email at myteacherfriendspodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like the show on Facebook at Podcast. Be sure to tell a friend and subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. Until next time, remember, celebrate and nurture every child every day.